Good morning. Welcome. My name is Ricardo. I'm one of the leaders here. It's good to be here today in this cold day. I don't know about you guys, but I, I enjoy the fall weather. Even though I spent the first 22 years of my life growing up in Miami, used to the heat, I enjoy just being able to bundle up a little. It's a nice change of pace. Um, but welcome. Welcome to Faith Bible Fellowship. Like I said, my name is Ricardo. Just one of the leaders here. We're going to be on... Um, Keep going through, as you haven't been able to tell yet, we're going to finish our time in First Timothy. It's been a great time for the past several months, just, just learning, just seeing what God has for us. So we're going to finish that up today. I'm going to be finishing the last five verses. And then starting next week, I see it's in your program, we're going to be starting in the book of Mark. And, and we're excited to just get into the Gospels and kind of just see what God has for us in there. And, and it's really one of my favorite Gospels. It's just excited, excited to see how the focus of Mark is just on the works of Christ, on what he's doing, on his divinity and things like that. So we're excited for that. Please join us as we as we start that next week. But this week, like I said, we're going to finish up the last five verses in First Timothy. So we can just bow our heads and pray with me. Father God, we humble ourselves before your throne, Father God. We we realize that that we really don't have anything else to stand on but on Christ alone, Father God. That you are a foundation. That that you are the one who saved us, who led us out of the life that we had and into a new life, Father God. And it's you. Our hope is in you, Father God, and nothing else. So we thank you. We praise you for the work that you've done in us and the work that you will continue to do in us, Father God. And be with us. Lord, we thank you that we've had this opportunity to just come and gather and sing songs that, that bring us before your throne, sing songs that sing truths about you, Lord, that humble us. We ask that you be with us with the next several moments as we spend time reading your word, as we spend time getting into it and, and trying to see what you have for us, Lord, that you speak to us, that you use me to do your will, Father God. We thank you for this opportunity. We ask that you are with us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be edifying to this congregation. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you see, if you have your program, you look inside of it, I've entitled this message today, True Hope. And we see that, that really, life in general, when we have hope, that hope is important to life because when we have hope, we keep moving. That, that a little bit of hope in something, in anything, keeps us moving. So whether you're a believer or not, whether you believe in Christ or, or not, hope keeps you moving. It, it gives you something to look forward to. If you're able to say, I have hope in this, then, then you can keep moving forward. It gives you a reason to live at times. And ultimately, for us as believers, our, our, our life, our walk with Christ depends on, on who we put our hope in. Do we trust in the right things? Do we put our hope in the right things? Because the world at large, the world out there, we know that they, they don't, that they oftentimes are putting their hope in meaningless things, things that don't bring satisfaction, things that will ultimately let them down. And it's evident, we know it's Sunday, and you have millions and millions of Americans waking up today, and they're putting their hope on a football team on what, what they're going to do. If their team wins, then they, their Sunday is great. Their, their week is great. But if not, if their team loses, then, then their whole day is bad. They go through the week grumbling, worried about what's going to happen. They put their hope in, in something as, as meaningless as, as a football game. 
or sometimes the world likes to, to put their hope on, on their job, on their, on their circumstance, on their situation. Perhaps you put your hope in people, in your spouse, or in your children. Ultimately, those things will let us down. And so we come to a verse where we're Paul. Paul is calling, and, and, he, and he points out a specific demographic within the church. He singles out a specific demographic, but he's calling them to please put your hope on the right thing. Put your hope on, on, the un- on what's not going to fail you. He calls us, he, he wants us to remain focused, to not lose sight of what's really important. That's that we put our hope in God. And that's what kind of that's what, what our message will be about today is just make sure that we have true hope, that our hope is put in God. And so we start in verse 17 and we'll finish the rest of the chapter. It says, As for the rich. And right there, some of you guys might might just tune me out now. Well, that's not me. I'm not wealthy, I'm not rich. Or or you may look at this in your own personal timing and you're like, oh, as for the rich, well. And you kind of just glaze over it. Put on God, oh Timothy. Right? And you're like, well, that's not me. That's not my current situation. I don't have everything that I want. And you're like, well, that that doesn't apply to me. I don't have the money. I don't have the car that I want. I don't have the home that I desire. But at the end of the day, if we're honest, if we're truthful of ourselves, we're all wealthy to some extent. We all have more than what we need. God has blessed us with more than what we need. You're never, you've never really truly been in need. You have things that you, that you want that you don't have, right? You may not have the car that you want. You may not be, your bank account may not look the way you want it to look. But you've never really been in need. Your, need, your most basic needs have always been met. You have, you have a great opportunity to, to really make a choice and decide what you're going to do with your money. And that, by, by extension, then you're wealthy, There's people who don't have that choice, who can't decide, what am I going to eat today? Am I going to go here or there? Just by by extension, just by having that opportunity, having that chance to make that choice, you're you're wealthy. You're rich. You have more than what so many other people in this world need. So whether whether you see yourself as rich, whether you see yourself as worthy, the truth is that there are several things in this passage There are several truths in here that are still relevant for us that we need to be thinking through, that we need to chew on, no matter what you may think of your situation. So we see that really Paul gives us two warnings in the first first verse. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches. Right? He's saying that. So he gives the first one is not to be haughty. Not, and then the second, it's not to put their, your trust in finite things, things that aren't going to last, things that ultimately do not matter. Don't put your trust in those things. And what does he call them to do? He says, put your trust, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's my first point. True hope, true hope, that, that hope that we have, that we need to be having is true hope has to be in God. You have to put... All that you have, you have to trust, you have to learn to trust, you have to put your hope in who God is. It's, it's keeping our eyes on him, it's realizing that he is who the scriptures call him to be. That he never will leave you, he never will forsake you, as it says in Deuteronomy 31.6. See, we, we have to put our hope in God, because true hope in God, it changes us. 
When, when, God, when God saves you, when, when he leads you out of your old life and he brings you to a new life and you start to put your hope in him and you start to lean on God and you start to trust in him, it changes who you are. And that's why we have to put our true hope in him. And that's what's going to help us with these warnings. It's going to help us not to be haughty, not to be, not to put our trust in things that are finite. So I'd like just to spend a little bit of time just, just looking at these warnings here a little bit. Just seeing what really what Paul's getting at. And depending on your translation, you may, yours may say, charge them not to be conceited or arrogant. High-minded, as the King James says. Or, or, or not, to be, not to be proud. He's calling them, don't be prideful. Don't look at your circumstance. Don't look at what you have. And think more of yourself because you've been blessed by God. In other words, what Paul is calling here is saying, don't let your money, don't let your circumstance or your status, don't let that affect you, the way you think, the way you deal with people, the way you make your decisions, the way you interact with people. Don't let that affect you negatively. And there's a reason why he's calling us not to be prideful, not to be conceited in that. It's that we know that, that the way that, that finance, the way that money affects us is, is the way that we treat others. If you look at Webster's, it defines haughty as, as being blatantly and disdainfully proud, having or showing an attitude of superiority or contempt for people or things perceived to be inferior. And this is what Paul's saying, don't be, these, don't be this. Don't look down on people because you think they're less of you because they don't have that nice car. They don't have what you have. He's saying, don't think much of yourself just because you have wealth, just because you are rich. Don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant in that. The truth is, 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 is that money changes. We've probably seen it. We probably know people who we've met We've known them all their life, and all of a sudden they get they run into a little money, and that changes them. Well, Paul saying, saying, don't be that. And the truth is, we have so many warnings throughout the scriptures about the love of money, right? He warns us about it just six verses up in verse 10. He says, For the for let's see, six yes. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with pangs. Right? We get all these warnings throughout the scriptures about, about warnings about the love of money. And really, like you don't have to have money for it to affect you negatively. Just the love for it, just a desire for more of it can lead people to do things, to do heinous things, to, live, to treat people differently because they, they love it, they're, they're searching after it. So you don't have to have money. You don't actually have to be wealthy for money to affect you negatively. It's just the love. It's the desire for it. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. That at, at the end of the day, you may think that you want more. You may think that you have everything already, but, but you won't be truly satisfied. We are to put our hope, we are to put our trust in God. We don't let our circumstances dictate who we believe, who we trust in. We don't let our situation change our opinion of people. We don't let our situation, our circumstances, our wealth dictate the decisions that we make. It all has, We have to put our trust in God. 
And the Bible warns us against this, as we said. Don't be prideful because you have money. Because really, what happens is that money gives you a false sense of power. Just take a look at Hollywood today. Take a look at all the things going on. Take a look at, at the Me Too movement. With people who have money, they think they can do anything. And it's not just exclusive to men. It's, it's whoever has money, they think they have power. Whether you're a man or a woman, you think you can do whatever you can, whatever you please, just simply because you have a little bit of money. Not to be prideful. Not to have this false sense of power. Don't be haughty, is what Paul's saying here. And, and this should not creep into the church. But it does, if we're honest with ourselves. This type of attitude... This type of, of looking down and, and having and showing partiality creeps into the church. We see it in, in, in James 2. You know, I have, when I worked and I lived in Miami and I worked at a church, we had a man there who, he, you know, he had a very wealthy job. He signed, he was a landscaper. He had a nice, decent contract with one of the biggest universities in Miami. And he was at the church. He served the church. He was a very generous man. <coughs> You know, his kids served in the youth group, so I, I worked with his kids. I, he was there all the time. And, and if we're not, what I'm trying to get at with this story is if you will see that he's, he wasn't actively protecting himself against pride. One day, someone in the office, he didn't like the way the receptionist talked to his wife or, or to his daughter. I can't remember. And so he comes in, and he storms into the office, and I'm having my lunch with the youth pastor, and we're there. And the, the senior pastor's office is right there. We can hear everything. And he comes in all prideful, all boastful, demanding things of the pastor. You need to fire this person or else I'm leaving. You need to do this or I'm taking my money elsewhere. And while he was at he's like, you know what? You need to change the way you do your service. And he starts making all these demands. And he starts threatening. If, if you don't do this, I will leave the church. He was filled with pride. He let this false sense of power just simply because he had money, because he gave it. He thought he can make those decisions. He wasn't an official elder. He wasn't a deacon. He was just a member. We actually, the church didn't have deacons, didn't have elders, lay elders. He was, just, he was just a member who thought because he gave, because he had the money, he can make these decisions and force the pastor's hand. That's what happens is if we don't put our trust in the right things, if we don't put our trust on God, then, then we become prideful of our circumstances. We become prideful of our situation. The Bible warns against pride. Just open up the book of Proverbs and you'll probably land on a passage somewhere talking about pride. So we're warned against that. And if we're not careful, we can let our situations, we can let our circumstances dictate us, dictate the way we treat people. second warning that, that Paul gives is, is he says not to trust on the finite things nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches see the truth is, is, that, is that having money or, or being in, in a good situation doesn't just affect the way you look at people the way your attitude towards people it affects the way you look at material possessions right we start to trust more on the things that we have on, on our toys in essence than in God And if we're truthful and we're honest, those material possessions, the cars, the homes, whatever it may be, they start to take the place of God in your heart. 
the rightful place of God that he, that he, that he deserves in your heart is replaced with your idolatry of, of, your, of your money or, or of your spouse or of your children. And that is sin. On our, on our way to church every Sunday, we, we drive by a park. And no matter how early it is, 8, 8.30 in the morning, there's cars lined up in the parking lot and kids playing soccer. We're on our way home four hours later. And there's still people in the parking lot. There's still kids playing sports. They spend their whole day, their whole Sunday, watching their kids play. And, and they put this false hope that, that if their kids play long enough, if they practice hard enough, maybe they'll be better in life than me. And they start to put their hope and their trust on, on, on their kids succeeding in a sport than, than on God. If you're not careful... If, if you're not actively pursuing God, you're not actively putting your hope, you're not actively putting your trust in God, you start to feel more secure in your bank account than you do in God. You start to put your identity in the things that you have than in Christ. Your identity is now found in your car. Your identity is now found in your clothes or in your shoes or whatever it may be instead of, instead of in Christ. And if we're not careful, what we do is we start to equate wealth. We start to equate living a good life with godliness. Well, they have everything they want. They must be living, they must be doing something right in the eyes of God. And that's simply not true. That's what this whole letter has been about. About fighting against that false teaching that that wealth, that, that, that life going good is a sign of godliness. We know that's not true. As a matter of fact, we can see this in Matthew 19, 20 through 24. Jesus, when he's speaking to his disciples, says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Something happens. We're not careful. We allow our situations, if we allow our circumstances to dictate everything about our lives, and we're not putting our trust, we're not putting our hope in God. Something happens to us, and it becomes more difficult to live according to God's ways. The truth is, is that when you put your trust in these things, when you put your trust in in your wealth, when you put your when you put your hope and your identities found in in your in your possessions. God no longer dictates your heart. God no longer dictates your actions. You start to do things and you start to think, what, how is this going to affect me financially? How is this going to affect my job? God could be calling you to doing something, to helping others, and you're thinking more, how is this going to affect me instead of listening and being in tune with the Spirit? You, you avoid this, this attitude. You avoid this pretense of, of putting your trust in finite things. You avoid this attitude of, of conceitness, of proudness, by making sure that you put your trust in God and in God alone. He goes on, he says, But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, he reminds them that, that everything you have is because God has blessed you. All the money, all, all, all the, the homes, the, the cars, whatever it may be, you have that because God has blessed you. He has provided us with everything. And we know this by, by reading 
our, 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 the Bible, we know that even our salvation, the faith that we have is not our own. That it's given to you by God. Everything, literally everything that you have, the very faith that you stand on, the belief that you're able to profess God as your king, as your Lord, is because God has given you that. Even your faith is from God. Therefore, you're in that circumstance. You're doing good. You may be wealthy because God has blessed you with that. God has given you the opportunity to provide for yourself, to provide for your family. You may say, no, I, I worked for this. Yes, even that work ethic, even, even, even the knowledge, that, that skill that you may have, that's a gift from God. Everything that we have is a gift. It's a blessing from God. That's the type of attitude we have to understand. That's the type of attitude we have to have. Is we put our hope, we put our trust in God because everything that we have in this life is a blessing from God. You keep that attitude. You keep that right perspective. And, 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 and you're, you're, you're not set, but, but you're, you keep that right perspective and you start to, to lean on God more. You start to realize that it doesn't matter about what I have. It doesn't matter about where I'm going. All that matters is that I have God. He says, for everything to enjoy. We understand that that, that true joy comes from, from serving God. It's not by coincidence that, that he couples this right after he finishes verse 17. He goes into verse 18. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. We understand. We know that the way the life works is, is, is we find joy in, in helping others. No matter how big, no matter how small, we find joy in that. So, so hope in God, true hope in God changes us. It makes us more concerned with the things of God. It makes us more concerned in line with God and we're more in tune with him. And by extension then, we, we start to, to do good things. That's my second, my second point. True hope leads to actions. That's what Paul is doing in verse 18 and 19. He says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up a treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We see true hope. When we truly put our hope in God, that changes us. Something inside of us changes. We start to be more in tune with God. We start, we, our desires start to change. We, we, we become more and more selfless. We start to want to do good by God's standards. This is why James in 226 says, faith without works is dead. It's not that you're saved by your works. It's that that by by God coming into your life, by changing you, by saving you from where you were, and giving you a new heart, you start to, 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 to have different desires. You start to want to serve God more. You start to realize who God is and how great he is. And all you want to do is just glorify his name. That's a part of the change. That's what happens when, when we're regenerate, when we come to know God. And, and the more we grow, the more we trust, the more we lean on him, the more that we become in tune with his ways. You are to take everything, all that God has given you, all that he's blessed you with, you are to do good. I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about money here. It's You are to do good with your time. You are to serve others. You are to use the skills. You are to use what God has given you to serve the kingdom, to do his will, to build the church. 
idea here, what we get is, is putting others first starts to become a little bit more natural. The more, the more you learn to trust God, the more you learn to lean on his ways, the more you learn to love the way God has loved, you start to put others first. And he's not just talking about some some superficial good. This is real good. It's not it's not the idea where you have millionaires and billionaires out there who, who are easily just signing off a check and sending millions to a charity. That's all great, but that's not what, what Paul's talking about here. It's just to be rich in good works or, or, or to do good deeds. It's this idea he's calling us to serve one another. It's to do right by those who you're sitting next to, those who, who you call a family. This idea of, of, of ready to share, or as the King James puts it, this, a willing to communicate points to this, this, this intimacy amongst the believers of the church. That you are to do good with those who you're rubbing elbows, with those who you sit with. You, you are to know what, what they need. You are to know what's hurting. You are to do right by them. You are to be using all that God has given you to build the body up. Just the other week we were in Ephesians. Pastor Ralph was taking us through Ephesians. And if you know, in chapter 10, in verse 10 it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. These are, these are, these are prepared beforehand by God. That, 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 the perp, that we are to do good works. Works. We are to do good deeds. Not that we're saved by them. Not, not that we earn our salvation. But it's just it's the natural consequence of just having a faith, of being saved through the blood of Christ. That you start to do good works. It's the good works that, that takes others into consideration. Sometimes it's the good works that that that, that, that hurts. But we have to be willing and ready to do these things. It's the this, it's this sacrificial working, sacrificially serving others, being ready, as it says, to be generous and ready to share. This is all made possible, right? By, by keeping a right perspective, by realizing that, that everything we have in this world will once will, will, will be done with. There will come a time where, where you're, all the money you have, all the possessions you have, they, they don't go with you. When you go to heaven, you don't take anything. You don't take any of that with you. 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Idea of you're keeping an internal perspective. You're keeping this idea. You know that all that you have, all that you do, is is meaningless when the day comes when you when you're in front of the Lord. That we're waiting for that day to come when when He brings a new heavens here. That's what everything is working towards. That's what we have to keep in mind. That's what we're looking forward to. Not the next paycheck. Not you know the nice car or whatever it may be. We look forward to the Lord's second coming. Very much this, the, the language here is the same language that we see Jesus use in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, where he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys nor where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where Where is your heart? What, 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 what is most important to you? Where do you put your hope? Where do you put your trust in? It's not talking. We're not talking about earning salvation. We're not talking about earning eternal life. It's What we need to be working on is, is an active demonstration of genuine godliness here in this present age. That, that we're working to, to, to be the hands of feet in Christ here on earth. This, this attitude, this mind change happens when, when, you, when you become saved, when you're renewed through the work of Christ on the cross, when, when God gives you the faith that you have, things start to change inside of you. You, you, you. you are now more concerned with the things that glorify God than the things that glorify yourself. Just, it's, a, it's a natural way. This is just happens. It should be happening organically in the Christian life. That God giving us faith. That God saving us. And us putting our true hope, everything that we have, our trust in God. That leads to us living lives that are increasingly shaped by God's values. By God's ways. Not our own. Not the world's. But, but that we're increasingly transformed. We're increasingly shaped by the ways of God. It means you look at everything around us and you realize that that means nothing, that it's all temporal, that, that it will one day no longer be. And it's looking and keeping the right perspective. It's, it's worrying about the right things, worrying about the kingdom of God coming. It's worrying about doing his work, doing good for God's glory. You keep the right perspective. My last point, true hope. True hope guards the gospel. Look at this in verse 20. He says, oh, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. We have to guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard the truth. Guard the very words of God. Guard the gospel. The gospel that saves the gospel that, that, he, that heals, that brings people to their knees before God. That's what we're supposed to be guarding. That's what we protect. We have to be, we have to protect the gospel of Christ. We do that primarily, I believe, but by, by using it appropriately. So we've seen all throughout this letter, people have used the gospel inappropriately. They, they've used it for their own gains, for their own means. They've used it to, done, to have control over people. They use it to manipulate. We have to use the gospel appropriately. We have to make sure that we give people the gospel, all that it's worth. We don't add to it. We don't take anything from it. We just give them the gospel. You guard it by being faithful to the gospel. With with the deposit that you've been entrusted with, you're faithful to it. You understand that that God will save people through his word. It's not us. It's not our ministries. It's not our abilities. It's not whether we we choose to to do things a certain way. That God will save people through his word. And that we've been entrusted with that. We guard the gospel by making sure that, that, that it penetrates every area of life that we have. That all our beings is, is about the gospel. 
And he's saying this of Timothy, and he's calling this of us too. That we are to, to, we are to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to us. That the word of God has been given to us by God himself. See right here, by, by adding this, this, this verb here, guard, right, to guard, by, by pairing that verb with, with the noun of the deposit, what Paul is alluding to here is a very common practice in, in the Greco-Roman cultures and, and in Jewish cultures where, where people will go to someone and they will give them something of value, something of, of high commodity, and they'll say, here, I, I, I entrust this to you. And in doing so, what they're saying is, I want you to keep this safe. I want you to guard this with all that you have. And in this context specifically, it's also because you guard it, you keep it safe because I want it to be returned to me in the same condition that I that I gave it to you in. You see, see, in this, this idea, what Paul is saying is that the expectation of the person who's receiving a deposit is that they are to remain faithful to the trustee. They are to keep the deposit safe and return it in the same condition. God has given us his word. He's given us the gospel of Christ. And he wants us to keep it safe. And it's on, it's on loan to us. And we have to make sure that it's returned to him in the same way. That means we don't muddy it up. We don't water down the gospel. We don't water down the things that we find in scriptures. We don't try to make it less offensive to people. Because we've been entrusted with it. We don't change the words. In the, we don't do anything to, to muddy up, to change it. We, we give it to people the way it is. Because that's what God is calling us to do. We have to understand that this is the inspired word of God. It is, a, it is the living word. And we don't decide what people need to hear. We don't decide what people need to understand. We just give it to them. We give them the gospel. We give them all of it. And we know that God will work. Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. We've been entrusted to make sure that we handle this deposit, that we handle the truth that's been given to us rightly, that we do it justice, that we don't muddy it up, that we don't change it because we want to be less offensive to people. We go to people with the gospel because we want to see God work in their lives. See, he's calling us to action. He's, just like he's calling Tim to action, he's, he's call, calling us to action as well. We have to make sure that we're guarding it. What's one of the ways that we guard it we see here? says, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. We guard the truth in ourselves, and we guard the truth by making sure that we avoid false teaching. We don't even entertain it. We don't give it the time of day. We, we, we turn from it. We run from it. Because it says, as he finishes, for by professing it, professing the false knowledge, professing false teaching, some have swerved from the faith. Paul is calling us to action. He's saying, put your hope, put your trust in the God of the universe, the one who provides everything. The very faith that you have has been given to you by the God of the universe. Put your hope in him. Do his will. Do his work. And with all that you have, guard. Guard it. 
You give people the unadulterated, you, the explicit message of Christ. You give them the gospel because that's all that they need. They don't need you to pretty it up. They don't need you to do anything else. They need you just to give them the unadulterated gospel. And God will work from there. It's not in us. We don't put our hopes, our trust in our abilities. We put our hope and trust in God and in God alone. And he will save who he wants to save. We have to make sure that our focus is on the right things, that our focus is on the things of God and not the things of this world. That we lean on him and we trust in him and we have true hope in him. Let's pray. Father God, we we humble ourselves before your throne and we seek Lord, your forgiveness, we seek your mercy, we seek your grace in our lives, Father God. We, some of us may be guilty of, of, of putting our hope, of putting our trust in the things of this world, Lord. Of finding our identity in things that are not of you, Father God. So we ask for your forgiveness, we ask for your mercy, we ask for your grace over our lives. We bow down before you, God, realizing that, that we have not done anything to earn our salvation. That, that you are the one who gives us the very faith that we have, the very ability to believe in your word, to believe in, in your son's death and, and resurrection. That's been given to us by you, Father God. So we ask that you work on our hearts. You change our hearts. You chisel away the errors that need to be chiseled away, Father God. The heirs that aren't conforming to you, the heirs where we're not putting our hope in you, the heirs that we're not trusting in you, Father God, that you chisel away those areas, Father God, that you conform our hearts to your ways so that we start to trust you more, Father God, so that we start to put, so that we start to put our hope in you and in you alone, that we are radically changed to a point where we are led to be moving to do good works by your will, Father God. Give us the strength, give us the wisdom to guard the deposit that you've given us, Father God. The things that you have entrusted us with, Lord, may we handle them rightly. May we proclaim your truth today, Father God. May we proclaim your truth boldly this week in our work, in our schools. May we honor you with all our thoughts, with all our actions. May we keep this day holy. May we keep this day where we rest in you and in you alone, Father God. We pray all this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen.